good morning <laughs> again. Um, so I have to tell you, I, um, at some point during the middle of the night, I got bit by a spider. So if for some reason I start crawling up the wall or something, that's, that's what's going on. So I just want to heads up in, in case. So our, our scripture passage this morning is Matthew 9, 9 through 13, and 18 through 26. Uh, this can be found on your uh, pew Bibles at, uh, on page 1509. Matthew 9.9 9 says this, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. Word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day. And we ask that you would open our ears and open our hearts. That we might hear your voice spoken clearly through these words. See your face and be touched in our hearts and changed by what we hear. Use us, Lord, this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with some context. These stories also appear in the book of Mark, so they probably sound familiar. Matthew really focuses on the power and authority of Christ, 
And so you might notice the differences from Mark's version. This is not to say that they refute each other, rather that as with any story that's told and retold, each author will have a unique lens and a set of experiences which color their personal retelling. This passage serves to let us, the hearers, know that no evil disorder, whether political, clerical, familial, psychological, or physical, can endure forever. The healing, calming, restoring Christ will ultimately overpower the forces of chaos and frenzy and illness and even death. This is good news. This is gospel. So our stories today deal with people living in the margins of society. People of no real consequence. Folks who are often overlooked, rejected, or even ignored altogether. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite writers and theologians, wrote a book, he's deceased now, by the way, uh, wrote a book entitled The Ragamuffin Gospel. You may have read it before. It's the ragamuffin gospel. Good news for the bedraggled, beat up, and burnt out. In that book, he tells about a valley girl who read through the gospel of Luke for the very first time. And when she got done, she said, wow, like Jesus has this totally intense thing for ragamuffins. <laughs> Isn't that great? So those mentioned in our stories today might fall into this category of ragamuffins. These were the people my folks told me not to pal around with. Of course, I couldn't wait to find some ragamuffins to hang out with. Ragamuffins are everywhere. Scorned by many, frowned upon by most, avoided at all cost. As we look around, what we recognize is that the landscape has not really changed much since the days that Jesus walked the earth. He, too, encountered people whom the world labeled as inconsequential. So let's get into our text. We start first with Matthew's call. Matthew is collecting tax from people along their way. Matthew considered himself to be important in his own right. Seated at his tax collection booth, he likely had a Roman soldier on either side. And he had both the right to enforce the tax as well as the means to skim a bit extra for himself. But to his own people, he was considered a traitor. He would not have been welcomed in, his, lo in his, his local synagogue. To his family, he would have been considered a disgrace. In fact, to the Jews, the rules of collaborating with the occupying army were clearly spelled out. Those who attended to the collection of the taxes for these infidels were considered dead. This would have rendered Matthew less than human in first century Israel. 
a real ragamuffin. So I was listening to some music. I always listen to music, but I was listening to some music while I was writing this sermon, and the Beatles came on. It's funny how God does these little things with you, where uh, uh, little God winks, I guess we call them. Um, but uh, the Beatles song came on, Nowhere Man. Isn't that perfect? That's Matthew. He's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Yet Jesus calls Matthew, follow me. Not only to follow him, but to become his disciple. Jesus even goes so far as to go home with Matthew and eat with him and his other tax-collecting ragamuffin friends. Unfortunately, they are spotted by some of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the keepers of the law, but let's not be too hard on them. Theirs was a world where they had security. They were the insiders, and they controlled who else got in. It was a clearly defined either-or world, very black and white. Gentiles were to be avoided. Samaritans were hated. Sinners were outcasts. Lepers were quarantined. The sick were kept away from everyone else. And those who tended to and buried the dead were considered unclean. And these Pharisees had a selfish interest in keeping it that way. It's the way things had always been done. But here comes Jesus. And he disregards all of the rules. Turns their world upside down in the name of love. Now next we encounter a leader of the synagogue. In the book of Mark, he has a name, Jairus, but not here in Matthew. In Matthew, all we know is that his daughter has died. That's as much as we're told. It's hard for us to imagine this today, but daughters at this time were inconsequential. In the first century, boys were the desired children. Girls could be bartered as brides if they were from an upstanding family. Otherwise, they were merely a liability. Another mouth to feed in a hard scrabble existence. Women were property to be bought and sold. That is it. I find it really difficult to say what I'm about to say, but this is it. The more I studied the commentary for this brief passage, I wondered if death might not have been better than the short, hard life that this girl would have had to endure. This girl already dead is of no consequence to anyone except, of course, her parents. 
And they are devastated and desperate. So desperate that this leader of the synagogue, the one who knows all the rules, asks Jesus to do the unthinkable. To tend to a dead person meant that you were ritually unclean. So this is a big ask. But that's exactly what Jesus does. In spite of the hecklers and their scorn and their laughter, he revives this young girl and gives her new life. Again, not much information here. I wish there was more. I like to imagine this as a critical turning point in her life. No longer will she or anyone around her treat this young lady as inconsequential. No, no being bought and sold like so much chattel. No, in our story, there's only healing and grace. Everyone gets the same thing from Jesus. Mercy and compassion. That's both good and bad news. Um, Jesus treats everyone the same. Jesus recognizes no codes or traditions that should keep him from these people. He applies no test for pro proper doctrine or polity. No question regarding their political convictions. No calculation of their gender or ethnicity or social standing. He sees only their need to be touched, to be healed to be loved, to be forgiven. Some days we like that news. Other days we don't. We like it on the days that we see ourselves in need. Like the woman and the father, we need Christ's healing touch in our own lives. We don't like it on the days that we want to consider ourselves insiders. First in line to be called a disciple. First in line to be healed. We don't like it on those days because what we discover is that we will be treated just the same as all of God's children. We will be loved and supported and cherished, but so will all the other children of God. Some days this works for us and some days it doesn't. And then there is the woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. We have no further understanding of her medical condition than this. Her disease was difficult for her both physically, mentally, and spiritually. Because there were strict Levitical laws regarding the abnormal discharge of bodily fluids, she would have been rendered ritually unclean. So this adds a social facet to her condition. Anything that she touched would also have been made unclean. Her disease would have prevented her from marrying 
am having children, she, like a leper, would have been relegated to a life of begging. Not much of a life at all. One might say a, a marginal existence. Avoidance of her would have been the only thing that mattered. Just imagine what her desperation must have been like. Imagine her nervousness as she worked up her courage. Then she made up her mind. She's going to risk everything and touch Jesus. Sneaking up quietly as Jesus is passing by, hand stealthily reaching out, she touches him. And Jesus turns and catches her eye. There's that brief moment where she expects him to offer a scornful reproach. This is what she knows that she deserves. And yet Jesus smiles and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Daughter daughter an endearing term of love and compassion mercy grace this is life giving she is made clean and new so we find that the lives of the three characters in our story are intricately tied together by this one single thread they were three people without place, without future, without dignity, and in a very real sense, cut off from life. Two figuratively, one literally. And yet Jesus restores them to life and dignity again. These miraculous interventions are both swift and complete. He calls Matthew to leave his job as tax collector and follow him, becoming a disciple, and Matthew does. In a risky move, Jesus heals the hemorrhaging woman. Against all odds, he takes the hand of a dead girl and restores her to life. Jesus gives them back their lives, and their dignity. He heals these ragamuffins. I can relate. Can you? When I was a much younger man, my life became an unmanageable mess. Due to some bad decisions I made, there were um, consequences to my actions that left me in a very bad place. I had come to the end of my rope, to the end of myself. You ever been there? I was truly broken on the wheels of life and feeling it. That's not my quote, by the way. <laughs> That's Dale Bruner, <laughs> but I use it a lot. <laughs> Knowing that I needed help, I reached out my hand in desperation. And on the other end, there was a hand. No, there were lots of hands waiting there to grab my hand and lift me up out of the mire. You see, everyone wants to be Jesus. 
These trusted friends came to my rescue, just like Jesus. They brought me up out of the dust and brushed me off and invited me into a new way of living. My life and my dignity was slowly and steadily restored, but restoration never ends there. No, I was invited on a journey and given a call. That call being to share my experience, strength, and hope with others like me. Those who are living in the margins, without place, future, dignity, and in a real sense, cut off from life. Ragamuffins. So yes, I can relate. Now fast forward several years and my life intact again, I was asked to join the leadership at Bethesda House of Mercy in Waycross. This is a shelter for women coming out of addiction and incarceration. And I was asked to be a Bible teacher and share in the weekly worship that took place on the porch of this old Victorian house every Saturday. You see, Saturdays are especially hard for addicts and alcoholics because weekends are made for partying. And the neighbors from the community were invited to and would attend these lively porch worship sessions. I think some of them just came for the refreshments afterwards. Those ladies at Bethesda could really cook. So after one of these evenings, many of us were gathered together having homemade cookies and fresh churned peach ice cream. And this really mysterious woman approached me and took my hand. Mysterious is the nicest descriptor I could find (laughs) as I was writing this. She was strange, weird even. She looked as if she might be homeless. Her clothes were dirty. She was a ragamuffin. Nobody had been paying her any attention. And she proceeded to put this wadded up piece of paper in my palm and said, that's your Bible verse. I must have looked confused because I asked her, what does it say? She said, I don't know. It's your Bible verse, not mine. (laughs) And she turned And she walked away. That was it. I didn't give it another thought. I stashed the watered up piece of paper in my Bible. And to be honest, I forgot about it. And when I did, when I did find it, I was surprised at how accurate it really was. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in your day of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Call upon me in your day of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. The story of my life. That was my verse for many years, given to me by a strange angel clothed in rags. She was Jesus to me. Everyone wants to be Jesus. Lately, I've grown to favor a different verse. 
And this verse keeps appearing in Bible studies and Sunday school and daily readings and devotions. And every time I hear it, I do the same thing. I can't help myself. I say, Amen. Amen. And that's Hebrews 12, 15, first part of that verse. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. Our call is to follow Jesus. In following Jesus, we get to be Jesus to others. And don't we all want to be Jesus? Amen.